Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm still doing mic adjustments. You feel like you got there, man? We'll see. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. My microphone is just right. Whatever. They don't call them the Goldilocks of podcasting for nothing, folks. <laughs> joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. My always breaking equipment has decided to work for now. So wow. currently we are podcasting. Uh, yes. I th- and I think breaking down equipment is a good place to start. This, sure. This episode. We're going to later on have an interview we recorded with our friend Chris Ramsey, who works at a uh, shelter on the north side of Chicago, Cornerstone Community Outreach. So we do a lot of work with our wonderful folks over there. And I'm excited for you to hear a little bit about the amazing work they do. But before that, I must declare an emergency. Ooh. An, an emergency? emergency of nostalgia. Is it a wistful emergency? The most wistful of emergencies. I don't know that really wistfulness is an emergency level event. You're not sure this is an authorized Well, then you've never read your Faulkner. <laughs> well, how, <laughs> much tor- wist, how much wist <laughs> does it take to take you up to emergency? I, I, I have read Walk, Faulkner and... Then you know that too much blissfulness can really turn into something. I, you know, yes, okay. I will concede that point. That's right. Literary jokes from the first events of the show. Hope you enjoyed. Yes. We had a recent uh, interaction on the social media there where a superfan, Bridie, from New Zealand, who had come up to visit us a few years ago here in Chicago and got to see the, uh, I'm going to go with majesty, of the former, say that, Worldwide Headquarters. That's right. Moved into new digs. But uh, in order to keep it humble, we're still in a basement. Yep. Because we got to have an underground bunker in case things That's, happen. Well, clearly. And Bridie, uh, you know, ta- I guess time hop popped up the thing where she was in the room recording. And uh, she, she tagged all of, us on, all of us on Twitter, which is very nice. And Glenn responded, Aw, now I kind of miss the old underground bunker. That's right. And uh, Glenn, why? Well... Um, first of all, the humidity was just right. Well, there's that. Well, there was all of it. Yes. Uh, it, it was the most humid place on earth 365 days a year. Yeah. I would (laughs) say it was a lot like, uh, if you're, if you're familiar with the planet Dagobah, (laughs) that's a nerd reference. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not down with, you know. Uh, all of Matt's, you know, uh, Faulkner, your Flannery O'Connor type, oh, uh, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm you don't not care for there. Americana. Yes. But what I'm saying is, and also occasionally little green creatures might jump on your back in yeah, the old basement. Yeah. The, the old, the old basement, uh, was, it, it was what you would call, uh, it had a funky vibe to it. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, and that that's literal. There was a funk yeah. that, that yes. hung over the yeah. room. And vibe in that it was sometimes literally shaking. <laughs> yes. You know. Um the 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 great thing is we had hardwood floors there yes. on the on the floor above us. So you'd get all the creaking and the walking and yep. the because we we anytime I mean our house is never empty. There's always somebody yep. going coming and going, doing a thing and having amazing uh, ministry adventures and whatnot. So we would get all of that kind of trying to not bleed that through to the recording. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there was a lot to miss there. Yeah. So here's my question about this is if we are conceding that this was the most humid place on the planet, 
Yeah. Do we also need to let the people know that you made Jed live there for a long time? <laughs> that That's correct. Jed lived in that exact space for a, a, a while. Yeah, a couple How, of years. A couple of years. Yeah. That was back and, when Jed's hair was long. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. The wall of hair. The wall of hair is what we called his hairdo. Yes. Because <laughs> you would look at his face and you would only see a wall of hair. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, we we had the we had everything set up there. Now we're in a space; it's wide open. It's much bigger. Yes, we have a we have a nice couch. I'm narrating the area. Right, we have a nice couch. Flint <laughs> is literally turning and pointing at things that you people can't see. And uh, turning away we, from the microphone to point we, at things you guys can't see. <laughs> so over here we have. <laughs> Uh, and we got uh, we we've got a nice refrigerator with beverages in it. That's right. right. Nobody got me any before we started recording, but that's okay nope. too. You know mm, that is a refreshing diet, Dr Pepper. So delicious. Mm. Diet Dr Pepper, not a sponsor of the Say That podcast, but we're open. That's right. So yeah, it's it's, it's a big difference. I like the the really earthy kind of tones. I like the idea that once this podcast gets super popular, as we know it will eventually, um, that that will be kind of our cavern club. Sure, people going by Glenn's old house, being like, <laughs> it's almost hard. To, it's way smaller than I thought it'd be. Yeah. Yeah. And almost certainly should be condemned at this point. (laughs) It definitely should be condemned. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was also no central air. No. So we had a window unit, and you'd blast that as hard as you could in the summertime. Yeah. Then turn it off, (laughs) record. Yes. And by the end, try not to have fully melted. Yes. Yes. And then turn it back on. Yes. And then whoever had done the best on the podcast that day would get to stand in front of it, and the other people would be shamed, and they would have to stand in the corner and wait for their turn. So it was, there's a lot to miss, you know. Sure, there was, there was some incentivizing Yeah, oh, that may yeah. not carry over to the current program. That's right. Then, then in wintertime, it would uh, be freezing cold. So right. So you'd get, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd think, well, at least there's an in-between time where you kind of pass nope. it coming nope. and going. No, that's... That's not really what happens here. This is Chicago. It's not just that house. There was a day this week, as we record, where uh, from Wednesday to Thursday, it got 20 degrees colder. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a town that's actively daring people to live in it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the other thing that we we don't have now, and if if the podcast is now more coherent than those old episodes, this may be why, um, there were a lot of low beams in that old basement. Yeah. And they were the mortal enemy of one Jed Brewer. At yeah. many points. Yeah. Because this is also where we kept the gear for the bridge. So myself, Jed, our friend Pete, who's a head taller than either either I or Jed, there was a lot of like, you kind of be doing the yelling down the stairs, like, make sure we don't forget that. And then you just hear. Yeah. yeah. And then a beat. Yeah. And then you'd wait for swearing to indicate right. consciousness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now we've got a much, I think we've got a much more OSHA approved environment. Well, sure. So you may not be able to hear that, the, the you know, the ethereal danger that was in those early episodes. Well, and, and the, the other thing that we have here, you, when you have an underground bunker and, sure. and if you don't have one. You should get one. You should definitely get one. Any number of major uh, Christian and conservative media celebrities would be willing to sell you one. That's yes. Right. For the coming end times. Right. Well, we've got we've got our our underground bunker. Totally. And the the cool thing is we're down here with the supplies for the ministry. Right. And that includes the supplies for the children's ministry. Right. Yep. Which includes snacks. Yes, ah. it does. And there have been uh, occasional uh, raids into the snacks. 
There we been, don't want to point any fingers. There have been occasional raids into the kid snacks, and this one I, is not a finger pointing because it was all of us. There's also been a time where there's a because you know we have the, the children's thing. We also have various outreach events. Uh, we'll do the ladies will our ladies will do so. Go into a residential program and they'll take a fleet of stuff. And uh, there's a bit of a staging area where they right. say, okay, we're going to go on Thursday to you know whatever this house, and we'll set all the the candies and and whatnot there. And on occasion, through what I think can only be blamed on poor labeling, mm-hmm. all of that may have gotten devoured right on Tuesday night after the bridge, yep. right, leading to very unhappy women's ministry staff right on the way to their thing discovering. Uh-oh. A truly Halloween amount of candy had yeah. been eaten in one night. <laughs> well, that's well. Later, it was explained to me that all of the food that they want to use for anything important has been hidden. <laughs> the quote, yeah, that's the, fair. The direct quote was, "If you can see it, it's for you. <laughs> you can eat it." Yeah, we've reached that point. And I said, "Well, that's a good system." Because if we see it, we're, we're going to eat it. Eat it. Yeah. So, that doesn't just go for candy. That goes for various household items as well. That's right. <laughs> so we, uh, th- we're we set. Yeah. You know, if, there's, right. a, if there's an apocalypse, we're ready for that. Absolutely. We have the supplies. Here in the underground bunker. Well, you know, to bring it kind of full circle, you as a listener, you might be wondering, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. Right. How do I arrange a visit to... They say that underground bunker. It's like probably a, a pretty, a, you know, you're like talking a, about a bunker tour. A bunker. How do I arrange a bunker tour? <laughs> right. Sure. Well, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll take bids. Okay. Uh, in the form of uh, cash, right. wire transfer. Yes. Baked goods. Ooh, yes. Uh, various and exotic jerkies. Yes. We've mm. recently had a friend of the show, Brad, who was texting Lee and I about something else, and specifically said. Why don't you tell Glenn and Jed that I've eaten kangaroo jerky? Yeah. Oh wow. wow. Yeah. So if you if you have uh, jerky from various lands, yeah. attained either legally or illegally, we don't ask questions. Yeah, we don't. Argue. Um, you know, you can send all that to PO Box three one six, Forest Park, Illinois six zero one three zero, and uh, you know, don't don't mention the underground bunker on the envelope because that might draw a certain um, notice from the United States Postal Service. But yeah, other than that, you know, we'll, we'll pick a winner. We don't. We don't want the man to know what we're up to down here. Or if you're in Chicago, you you can just email us. Let me also while we while we're covering this very important subject, we had a meeting recently mm-hmm. of our ministry. Uh, we had our staff was there, but we also had our volunteers there as well. Indeed, we did. Uh, we it was a, it was a great occasion. As is usual, we have food going everywhere. And amazing food, and we had the grill going, the whole thing. I mean, it's it's a whole situation when we all get together. And it was very exciting, and we were all sharing, and this is on the subject of the coming apocalypse. Uh, we were sharing with one another at a recent staff meeting, a staff uh, uh, e- uh, picnic type thing we were doing, what we would all do if there was a zombie apocalypse. Right. <laughs> and we all had various different plans going back and forth. No, we didn't, because you just filibustered your plan. I, they, they talked, you know, babbled gobbledygook for, you know, right. 15 minutes while I, while I stared into space. Like simpletons. Uh, about right. 20 you know. seconds before he interrupted. It's about, it, what it was, it was like <laughs> watching a dog lick peanut butter from the roof of its mouth. That's what it was like, this discussion, you know. Then I just Not said, a discussion. 
This I said, I got one word. Right. Just one word. Yes. Houseboat. It's really two words, but okay. You get on the houseboat. Not in Texas. You get out on the water. Boom. Problem solved. How is the zombie going to get to you? Yes. <laughs> so there was a lot of, oh, where are we going to you know, grow food? I, I said, rating party. Come on. You know, right. just use your imagination. There was really the excellent question of, uh, I believe this was from our friends Ben and Amanda, of or what, what kind of zombies are we dealing with? Might these be um, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, cursed sailor zombies? Yes. In which case they might have naval superiority. Here's, here's what I'm saying. We, we invited, as you point out, we invited the, the, the volunteers uh, to come, and we brought them in on the discussion, because you want to include people. And again, and- when he says we brought them on the discussion, Glenn said, everybody shut up, here's my plan, right. isn't it great? Right, so, um, <laughs> you know... Because like literally, we're talking about something else, Glenn. I don't want to talk about that, zombie right. apocalypse. Right, and uh, what happens is, you know, you got a ministry, you want to bring people in. You right. know, buy-in sure. is really important. There's going to be a zombie apocalypse. Let's all get organized around the house, but okay. So we're team building. That team building is exactly what we're talking about here. And we're not going to mention any names, but there was one person and, and really the, the other volunteers were befuddled by this suggestion Mm. that apparently befuddled in general, apparently in their mind, when we're having a serious discussion, yeah, about a zombie apocalypse. Yes. They wanted to know, what if the zombie went under the water and climbed up the anchor chain? Right. Okay. First of all, we aren't, we ain't anchoring to anything. We're flowing free, because that's how we do in the zombie apocalypse. Okay. Second of all... Glenn's going to be the Jimmy Buffett of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> all right. All right. Just I'm floating totally through. Do- Wasting away in zombarita, Bill. It's going to be like a... a <laughs> Tropical print shirt, you know, and the flip-flops. Here's what I'm saying. It's not like these zombies are growing gills. Sure. Okay, let's be serious here. Uh, you want to have a serious discussion about the let's, zombie apocalypse. Yeah, a serious academic discussion. I mean, you know, I know you're not in full-time ministry, you know, and you're not used to having these kind of conversations. Right. But let's think it through. Let's take it up a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's um, a very... Very condensed version of a real conversation. And by conversation, I mean rant slash berating yeah. about people not taking Glenn's post-apocalyptic zombie scenario seriously enough. Houseboat. Get on the houseboat. We're done here. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Post-op- That's a terrible motto. <laughs> well, all I want to see now is like a Photoshop of Glenn in a Jimmy Buffett shirt on a houseboat with <laughs> zombies on the shore. Yeah, trying to get to him. Yes, yeah, and the 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 caption for the shirt that we should definitely sell says, "Enough already, just get on the houseboat." Love it, love <laughs> it. That is not a phrase that should be said out loud. And on that basis, I declare emergency off. You know, we don't only make the say that podcast here in the underground bunker. Elements of Bridgebox are made here as well. That is so true. Recorded, written, prepared. Prepared may be a bit of a strong term for our sermon discussion situation, but you know, it, it comes up. Uh, Bridgebox every month you get songs, sermons, Bible studies, videos, all sorts of good stuff based around a topic. We are heading into the month of October where our topic is how do I know when to let go of a situation? Lots of good stuff about that. Only $8 a month. Bridgebox is the number one way folks who like the podcast can support the ministry we do here in Chicago, both above 
and below ground. Mm-hmm. We move on to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch. This first question comes in anonymously, and it says, Sometimes I get hung up on trying new things. I get overloaded. Sometimes I just want everything to be what I'm used to. So how do I make myself try new things? And Glenn, why don't you kick us off here? Well, yeah, I think uh, definitely don't try new things. Yeah. Uh, that is a terrible idea. By the way, Glenn, that leisure suit looks lovely. (laughs) Just just only do the things that you're used to and take it as a crisis when anything new happens. Glenn, you're actually accidentally going to get elected with that kind of talk. (laughs) Here's the thing is uh I, I think it's it's a little bit inappropriate for uh for men to discuss new things and change because that's uh, as men we don't do that nearly as well as women do uh but doing the best i can to talk about my own struggles with the newness etc i would say the, the 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 point i want to start with is the idea that using our emotions to predict the future Mm. is a recipe for disaster. That's wow. just not that we're going to be sad all the time with that. Uh if I say here's something new and your blanket assumption is well, that's very likely to be a disaster. Then we're we're going to have uh, problems moving forward. We need to uh get to ourselves to a place where we're not allowing the emotion of fear to make those decisions. But also we don't want to navigate by that. We don't want to say, okay, I want to live in a world where I'm not afraid of anything, so I'm just going to avoid everything, and then that's going to be better. Uh, by doing new things, by challenging ourselves and pushing forward, this is where we discover new things about ourselves, new things about the calling that God has for us, new abilities, uh, a, a better, richer, more uh, full existence. Um, I think the second thing I want to say there. Uh, is that I, I think we don't understand that we endure things purposely now that definitely suck. And we're totally fine with that. Yeah. You say, well, do something new. You say, oh, that would be bad. No, you're at bad now. Yep. And that's fine. With you. you're, you're okay with that. You know, you're, you're complaining, but you're willing to put up with it. You're enduring it. This is a new thing. Yes. If you asked this person out, or if you told your boss you wanted to raise, or if you told your parents they needed to cool their jets on something, yes, it's possible a meteor would strike the earth and kill us all, specifically because you asked this person to get a cup of coffee. That's, Yet another reason to have an underground bunker. That's right. There's, there's a chance that that would be the way that that would go. But generally speaking, things would get better as a result of that. So... Um, it, I, I think we have this uh, this th- thought of new stuff is scary and probably bad when the old stuff is already kind of bad, right. and we're doing just fine with that. So uh, overall, we're we're if we're moving forward, we're going to have bumpy road, but it's bound to be better in certain ways. I think a really good example that I am completely going to steal that was used at the bridge. Uh, I'm, I'm because I'm uh, my guard is down and I'm at a moment of weakness. I will actually give credit to Jeff Schneider <gasps> for this. I know <laughs> Matt just clutched pearls that were up, up is here. down, black <laughs> is white. Yeah, I have pearls. Everything's different now. That's right. But uh, he gave a really great example that he has a two year old and a five year old, and they do dinner every night, and they have one food that they are familiar with. You know, pizza, hot dogs, etc. A bribe food. Yeah, 
And then they have a, a new food that they've never eaten before that they want them to try. Now, the rule is, and this is kind of brilliant, is that you have to take a number of bites for how old you are. So you have to do two oh. bites if you're two and five bites if you're five. And if you do that, then you get the dessert. So they they go, they brought out the pizza. Yay, pizza. We love pizza. They said, okay, here's the new thing. It's a carrot and raisin salad. And they they recoiled with a level of horror. <laughs> That's bad marketing. I mean, it's if they brought out a severed human head. It could not have been more. Just... <laughs> are you are you maybe expanding on Jeff's well, analogy maybe. a little bit there? He did not say severed human head, but this was I'm painting you a picture say. here. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, kicking it up. Understand? I'm never putting that in my mouth. You have lost your natural mind. There's no way. So then they bring out the dessert. And it's like, well, now that does change things. Yes. <laughs> you know? So they, 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 there's this hemming and hawing, and weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. And then they finally capitulate, and they, they eat the, the carrot and raisin salad. Well, here's, here's kind of what we absorbed from this experiment. First and foremost, they love the carrot and raisin salad. Yes. So, you know, does, the next time we bring out new food, would you mind assuming that it could be a pleasurable experience because that's that's a pattern that we have developed here. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is you wasted all that time being upset and negative and right. dreading it and fearing it when it was actually nothing at all wrong with anything and you would enjoy it. You got to enjoy something good and then you got uh, the reward uh, at the end. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about recognizing that Everything the devil offers, it tastes good in the moment. Afterwards, it's bad, and it's, it's consequences and so forth. In the Christian life, it's it tastes good to you in the moment, but it's good for you down the line, and you will find an enjoyment in it, that, and and also a payoff at the end that never is there in the things that the enemy offers you. Absolutely, and Lee, I'd love to go to you here because I think Glenn really gave us a fantastic. Look, it, there's some mindset changing that needs to be done yeah. in order to um, kind of, we would use the term defang, the idea of a new thing. That's kind of an inherently scary thing, but we blow it up a little bit more in our mind. And as Glenn's saying, there's a combination of, is what you're changing from really that great? And also <laughs> this could work out. So there's that. But then there's also, I think we need some strategy for the fact that there is an inherent suckiness to trying a new thing, even if, as Glenn's talking about, it turns out to be great or it turns yeah. out to be a good thing. It's still a hurdle to get over to try a new thing. So what are some good strategies for uh, the little extra kick to get over the hump on those little bits? Yeah. I mean, I, I love where, where Glenn started this out. I love the incentivizing. I, I love, I, I love figuring, figuring that out a little piece at a time. Those are great strategies. One thing that I would suggest to add into this is take somebody with you. Um, if you're trying something new, let's say you're trying a new church or you're trying a small group or something like that, take somebody with you. Um, almost everything that is scary is less scary when you're not alone. Um, when you've got somebody to go with you, somebody to talk with you about it on the other side, that whole thing. And, and, and if the thing that we're scared of is, you know, getting into the dating scene or something like that, it was like, well, I'm not going to bring my friend a third wheel as a date. No, of course not. But you can um, you can bring that person in with you into the situation by talking to them about 
the fact that you just joined this dating website. And hey, uh, come sit beside me as I look through some of these profiles of, of guys that I'm interested in or whatever. I, I saw somebody do that recently, hanging out at, at some folks' house. And this person said, you know, I, I joined this dating website, got two or three gals around her and they looked at the the guys together they were before you know it they're laughing about this guy they're talking about how and by about this... you mean at <laughs> the panel talking... of judgment yeah they're talking about how cute this guy is or look at this guy's interest this doesn't even line up with me at all can you imagine if i went out with him and all of a sudden something that feels kind of weird and feels kind of uh scary and stuff wound up being this big fun thing where it's you know, where they wound up saying like, hey, after if this guy reaches back out, tell me how that goes. Where do you where are y'all going to go out on a date and then call me when the date is over? Let's let's get together and talk about how the date was and everything. So there are ways uh, on any kind of a new thing. There are ways to bring people into that experience with you, even if you can't bring them with you to the thing, because it's you know, it's it's exclusive in that way. You can bring them alongside you as you experience this new thing. Somebody to pump you up, kind of a team to to be your cheerleaders and to to walk you through it, to to for you to gripe with on the other side of it when it was hard, all that kind of stuff. So take somebody with you. Uh, the other thing I would say is it, this is very similar to some of the strategy that that Glenn was talking about with the with the uh, you know getting the little kids to eat eat new meals is you know don't try to do everything at once. Don't try to do all of it in one huge thing. If you thought about it like a food, add one new ingredient to the sandwich you already know that you like at one time, instead of trying a completely new thing when you go to this restaurant or whatever it is. Um, and and translate that out into different things that are new. Are, is there a piece of this experience that you can try now? Is there a piece of that... Um, is there something about that place that you can do? One of the really cool things about the way the world is today is you can find out a lot about a, a new place, a new church, a new job, a new boss, a new uh, new colleagues and stuff like that from from different things on social media, on inter- on the internet and stuff like that without ever having to go there. And so you can get uh, you can get familiar. You can figure out where this is and on this city block, kind of what this building looks like, so that you don't feel like you're going into this this situation completely cold. We have a lot of advantages to be able to try out a bit of a new experience before we actually dive into the whole thing. So I would say take somebody with you and try to do this a little piece at a time. It's not, it, I, I'm not trying to, in some ways it could sound like, oh, well, you know, Glenn is saying it's good to be afraid and you're trying to figure out ways to make it less scary. I completely agree with that. I, I, I do agree that, 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 you know, doing something, being brave and trying something new, that is what pushes us and changes us and all that kind of stuff, especially if what we've already got going on, we've already decided is crappy. But um, within that bravery, within the valiance of trying something new, there are ways that we can mitigate this in good ways so that, so that we're ready to kind of handle all the new. Um, we, we can do a little bit at a time to kind of handle what we're doing. We can bring somebody along that we trust that can help us face some of this stuff. That's all really, really good stuff. Though I do really enjoy the idea of a guy coming into a Starbucks meeting and say, I want things to get awkward, so I brought Hank. <laughs> he's gonna sit at that table unless i give him the high sign then he'll come over and try to help out yeah so you know, again you gotta you gotta customize the advice to you the get a, maybe a little flag that you wave to bring <laughs> hank over yeah. tag it in hank uh and jed uh 
one of the things, this is a very common thing with the folks we work with at the bridge, uh, particularly who are in addiction recovery, because there's a phrase in there that you have to watch and change your people, places, and things. Yep. And those of you who have taken uh, basic grammar lessons may uh, may notice that, that encompasses pretty much everything. Yep. Um, so whether it is um, someone who's going through that, or is this guy's talking about somebody who uh, maybe a change is forced upon them, maybe that's going from a college situation to now uh, trying to navigate kind of church and social stuff as you know somebody who's out of college and doesn't have that same support structure. There are those moments where it feels like I have to take care of everything. Right. And I, th- I wonder if that's not where part of this overwhelming yeah. idea comes from. And how do we how do we get a little bit of reality in that feeling? Well, I think we have to start by saying, uh, and again, I agree with everything that Glenn and Lee both have said here. We have to start by recognizing no one can change every detail of their life all at once. That's yeah. that's just not possible. No, no one can have a life that is a hundred percent new things and a hundred percent change. There's, you know, it it is. Um, Although it is worth it, it is exhausting and draining and um, and exhausting to, to to make changes to try new things. Those are one and the same. So there there are limits to how much new stuff we can do at any given time. Given that, we really need a strategy for what to focus on, and this is this is really really important. So, for example, suppose that as you look at your life and you look at your walk, you realize I don't really have a place where I get to serve, and that's. I feel like that's the thing that's kind of holding up my walk in a lot of ways. I need to find a way to serve. Okay, cool, cool. That's by its very nature going to involve trying a bunch of new stuff. That's going to mean going to new social situations. That's going to mean meeting new people. That's going to mean trying new things. Um, If you're in that situation, we want to encourage you. You should totally do that. It's going to bear awesome fruit. It's going to be really worth it. At the same time, it's also going to be massively exhausting. There's just, there's no way that that will not be true. This will be things, you know, I think one of the things that Christians can often lose sight of is stuff can be really good and really draining at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's easy for Christians to feel like if it's good and positive, then I should feel totally energized by it. And that's not how this works. Um, things that are new, things that are stretching you, they're draining you. They they are exhausting you. So if you are recognizing, you know, this is the thing for me, and this is, you know, kind of where my walk is, and I need to take bold steps and find a way to serve, that's going to be you trying a whole bunch of new stuff. And and you should. We've talked about this before, that that's about trying a dozen different things and kind of looking for that moment of that tuning fork going off within you. Like, I, I really dig this. I think there's something here. This really, you know, fits me. Now, it probably would not be the greatest idea to do that at the exact same time that you're starting a new job. We we might want to give ourselves a month or two to get used to the new job and then really launch the initiative to find a, a way to serve. If we try and do both at the same time, one, we're going to be really exhausted and really, really drained. And a little bit, we're going to kind of be cheating the process on both. We're, we're not going to be able to give uh, our full A game to get used to this new job, and we're not going to be able to give our full A game to finding a new way to serve and exploring service opportunities. The good news is we don't have to be in a rush. Honestly, one of the things, you know, we, we deal with a lot of folks in addiction. One of the biggest problems we see when it comes to trying new stuff is either an unwillingness to do anything that's new or feeling like I got to get all this sorted out right now today. You don't. You actually don't need to be in a hurry. One of the most powerful things in life is figuring out how to do things at a healthy, moderate pace. 
And that's what we want to do with this new stuff. We don't want to go so slowly that we never change anything, but we don't want to feel like we have to change everything all at once because we can't. We want to prioritize and figure out what really deserves the investment of my time and energy to try new things and do that well and give that my A game and then tackle that. And when we're in a good place with that, then we'll move on to the next thing. Absolutely right. Um, We, you know, media can be uh, inaccurate in the way they portray a lot of things in life. And one is that uh, you don't get a montage. There's not a there's not one where you already just kind of quick cut all this stuff and then in the next scene you get to be a different person. There's a lot there's a lot of things trying to sell you that. Yep. There's a lot of ads that are like, wow, I tried this new shampoo and now my credit score is better. <laughs> it is all better now. Definitely that's not really the way things work. And you do want to put that into uh what uh, Glenn and Lee are talking about uh, as far as the strategy to make those changes because um, one of the, I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks for myself, and I think for people I've, I've talked about this, is that idea of if this was a good idea, I probably wouldn't be resisting it so much or worn out from doing it because I heard in church that if you do a good thing, it always feels good. Yep. Mm. That's how you know. And uh, that is not the way anything works. Um, as just pointed out, you, you, have, you have the same finite amount of energy for good stuff as you do bad stuff. Energy is just energy. It's not... There's no sudden, uh, there's no sudden turbo boost because you're doing, you know, the morally correct thing. Energy is just energy. So when you have those moments where you hit those those bumps, it is worth uh, taking a moment and not uh, not falling into despair, but looking at, am I exhausted? Am I trying to do too much at once? Is am I trying to go this entirely alone? Are there a number of strategic tweaks I'm making as opposed to going for the the grand narrative tweak that we all want, which is just doom. When you try to uh, make changes and then and, and happen, that's the other part. We do want to take a minute mode. When you try something new and either it ends up sucking or it kind of becomes a big cluster of problems there, that's bad. That sucks. We we understand that. We've all been there uh, on this show. We've all made tried to do something, a bit off a little bit more than we can chew and had it all come down. The answer isn't just Amen. stop trying to change things. The answer is find a little better strategy and give yourself a little more time. So you don't have to have everything changed tomorrow uh it's a good transition because jed mentioned one of the things we do talk a lot about people who want to either catch a gear in their spiritual life or make a big change is finding a place to serve one of the things that may be an impediment to that is both uh, glenn and lee were talking about is just not having a great vision for what that means uh, what, what does that actually look like what's the impact we have we try to sprinkle that in on the show here when we talk about you know the work we do over in chicago what lee does with folks find bars and young folks down there in tennessee and uh, we, but we also want the show to be about you. So we want to, uh, submit the lion's share of the time to dealing with problems you guys bring up, but we had a cool opportunity to interview a friend of ours. This is like, we do a lot of work with a shelter on the North side of Chicago called Cornerstone Community Outreach. And this is a guy who's been on staff with them for decades, uh, on the North side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Uptown, which is, it's not the Bruno Mars kind of Uptown. It's a, it's a very different kind of Uptown. It's. It's a neighborhood where Glenn and I were walking through it a couple months ago to go to a thing, and Glenn and I both separately had a moment of, oh my, <laughs> this is for real. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, they work with uh, homeless folks, work with veterans, do an amazing job getting them housed, getting them the help they need, getting them a little bit of, of spiritual stuff, they're applied to a church. There's a friend of ours called Chris Ramsey, who, who self-published a book called Discovery, Jesus in the Least, and it's exactly what he's talking about. His experience doing this work over a long time, what he learned, how that affected him. So he wanted to uh, talk to him a little bit. And get you guys another picture from folks who do something that's it's similar to what we do, but it's it's different in that it is a different population. And this is the kind of thing where at CCO, 
they, when we talk about, you know, go volunteer to shelter, go find a soup kitchen. This is more the kind of place than you would do at something that's incredibly specialized like the bridge. So we want to give you a vision of that. We'll take it that. Right. Well, Chris, why don't you start off by, for folks who are not, no familiarity with Chicago, why don't you walk us through Uptown, because what that's like, what it was like when you got off, uh, as you talk about in the book, the bus in Uptown, and how, how it's changed, and how, what why this neighborhood really, I think, encapsulates what you're talking about in the book. Uh, well, Uptown is one of the most uh, racially uh, and ethnically uh, diverse communities uh, in Chicago and, and probably across the whole nation and the world even. We just got uh, folks that have come from all over, from all over the world. And uh, so we have a, a, a really large mix. And But it was like in the 50s and the 60s, and, and so there was a lot of factory jobs here, and there was, there was a lot of white poor. And then things sometimes changed, and it became a lot more racially di- diverse uh, and so really we just have a, a large mix and that's uh, it's always been challenging it's you know and <clears throat> but right now even and lately the last over the last should I just go ahead and just ram- yeah, ramble yeah we can sorry no problem okay but and now then really ever since we've been here even the last 20 years <clears throat> I mean we've we've had I mean Cornerstone has been open our our large shelter uh <clears throat> since 1989 but uh we've had uh so many such a mixture of of folks you know uh white hispanic african-american uh indian all all different anyway races and and things and we we just felt like we've the lord led us just to be a uh, what I guess I would term a mercy ministry of just being able to provide the basics of, of food, clothing, and shelter uh, to a lot of these folks that really have hardly anything. And, and uh, so that's what we've been doing for the last uh, 25 years at least. Yeah, and I think the, the, prem- the larger premise of the book and definitely a lot of what I got out of it as someone who does this work in a, in a similar, a slightly different vein, a prison ministry is not exactly the same as homeless ministry, but if you're, if you're not super in it, it's, it's, it's in the same genre, I guess. Um, I think there's, there's a church, there might be some church culture, there might be someone who's never done this before who would think, well, you know, I'm, I'm putting someone in a bed, I'm, I'm feeding them a meal, and that's a, that's a good thing, it's a great thing, but it's not spiritual it's not you know it's not giving an anointed word it's not you know being impressive but right how how have you found the depth and the just uh the the spiritual nature of those interactions and what it's given you what it's taught you what what you've experienced through it okay oh that's a great question yeah no it's it's uh, definitely a challenge all this work and it's beautiful that, that, right, we see so many folks that we get to uh, just share the basics of, of food, clothing, and shelter. And we share their hearts, and we get to know them, though, too. And, and, and what I'm always amazed at is how thankful that I would say 90% of them are of just receiving the basics 
uh, in life uh, because they really don't have anything else happening at that at this time at that time in their life. You know, they might their family might have uh, they've they've burned their bridges, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and they might not have family friends. Uh, the city nobody's going to hire them. A lot of them might be some of them uh, ex felons, ex ex prisoners, ex inmates. So we've seen a lot of, and that's how I kind of look at it. These poor, these a lot of these folks even today, uh, the poor and the low income here in the inner cities, they just don't quite fit in in this society today. Mm-hmm. To me, they just hardly anybody cares that much, or they just don't hardly make it because they're going to spend almost all their money if they get a check uh, on their rent. You know, they might have a one room, an SRO, what we call. And it's just they really are scrambling, and that's why they come to our place to to eat, and then but and, and there is you know they they just have a rough life a lot of times, and and not to the gate sure there there can be a lot of issues that that different folks have substance abuse, mm-hmm. uh, domestic violence, alcoholism you know you know you name it uh, they there a lot of them are coming out of those kind of situations. And they don't see, you're right, we try to, uh, as far as spiritual things go, we are happy to talk about the Lord anytime, and, and anytime that, but we, we, I guess I look at us as, a, as an easy approach or whatever you want to call it, uh, when, only when things are, are open, when, when people are open, we are happy to talk about the Lord and what he's done for us. And we want, of course, encourage them to get hooked up with different uh, recovery groups, any good things, good places like the bridge. There you go. But, uh, you know, and, and just, just to get the support and they need. But as we all know, they have to kind of want it. They have to want it. You can't force it on them. And, I mean, that's one thing I've learned. And I look at it like even in my book – so is there a lot of people, you know, totally changing their lives and getting, you know, say what we call saved and, and really following the Lord? There is some. Yes, there is. There's been there's definitely been a good number over the years. But I would say a lower percentage wise than many of us would ever want. Mm. And, and myself included, of course. So I guess I look at it like we are a mercy ministry and we don't know what God is doing in that a lot of these persons lives and they might not be quite ready for any kind of commitments or anything or they might just go a, a, you know a step or two but we are there and we want to be friends we want to be loving and that's how we we kind of see things and i've and we've had we've been amazed ourselves at, at times people who come back come back sometimes five ten years even 15 years we kind of we jokingly call them alumni you know the cornerstone alumni and uh they come back and say wow you know i'm just so thankful you you guys were there you you guys helped me make it and 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 what do they mean by making it they might just have their own little place now but but they're not red they don't have anything but they but at least they have a little bit of dignity they have their lives a little more together but and they're still coming back though because they did see hopefully they saw a little bit of Jesus in there, or a lot of Jesus, you know, and uh, that's 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 how we look at it, and we we just want to be there for folks. It's you know the least of these my brother, and that's what I said the the way Jesus said, unto the least, unto the least to the people that don't you know, 
nobody seems to care about as much in in, in this society. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I do want to talk about the idea of the least of these. Let's uh, let's close out on that because you're you're talking about you know people coming back and not seeing what's going on and you know at the bridge we often talk about you know a good seed on good soil and all that and that that idea of there are things in the scriptures there are things that Jesus talks about that are really brought alive in a different way when you serve these people you're talking about people that are that are on the fringes and no one cares about that he calls you know the least of these my brethren so if you were going to uh, give us a closing thought for someone who has never done a mercy ministry never done an outreach thing and a reason to encourage them to get into it, to, to what they might find there. What would you say to them? I would say, yes, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But just make sure that God is right in the middle of it all. <laughs> and all I mean by that is, I mean, just in my uh, uh, testimony in a nutshell is, is, you know, it's really all by God's grace. And I wouldn't have hung in there all these years. There's many times I, w- I would struggle and question and be frustrated and be disappointed in in things. Are we re- people really changing? Are things really moving forward? Are we really legitimate? I mean, these are all questions, and even I ask those questions in my book, and and I and those are totally uh, legitimate. But I would say that yes, there needs to be more people that have let the Lord lead them, let them get in the middle of it, and and, and fill you, uh, fill us, me. Uh, with his compassion, with his long suffering, with his patience, because that's what it really does take. It really does. And because even I have a, my little uh, motto or whatever, a little saying around has been whatever it takes, which as we know is not a, uh, a unique uh, saying. But then I quickly add on, and it takes a lot. <laughs> Make no mistake, you will be stretched, you will be pushed, you, but you, and, and, but it really, and it's a good thing. See, why do I say that's a good thing? Because I need to be challenged. I, I need to be, uh, I need to lose my life for somebody else's life. And then I can find it. And that's what's happened to me, and even in a nutshell. If you told me 25 years ago or something, or, oh yeah, Chris, you're, you're, you know, uh, you're just going to be a shelter worker and you're just going to run a little soup kitchen in a pantry and talk with people. I would say, oh, okay, all right. It doesn't sound that exciting to me. I'm just being honest. Didn't didn't I, you have something more for me, Lord? I, you know, be a pastor or or be important important missions across the world. And I've had to deal with all that, and that's in the book too. And I've seen that. Uh, no, that this has been my calling, and this is where God has has placed me. And, and no, and that's such a good thing. You know, it's like, and I admit not to even get into it. This is probably what, what I could handle, you know, and, that, and that's what's beautiful. Uh, the Lord knows what we can handle. And so you don't want to even think to get too highly of yourself. It, you don't have to think too low either, but it, all the work is important. All the work of, of Jesus work of reaching out and just, just touching lives. A lot of times it is the little things though, behind the scenes that people don't see that is really the most meaningful and I think that's the most, most meaningful and, 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 and touches the Lord's heart. Okay, that was our interview with Chris Ramsey. It's very fun to get to sit down and talk with him. Again, the book is Discovering Jesus in the Least. Ramsey is R-A-M-S-E-Y. As someone who has family named that, 
there's a lot of available spellings. You want to go with E-Y on that one. The, uh, the book is available on Amazon. You can get it for just a few bucks on Kindle if you want to check that out. All right, we're going to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I've been walking with the Lord for a while now, but I still have a hard time having faith. I do believe, but I feel like I have to work at it. Is something wrong with me? Does this get easier at some point? And Jen, why don't you kick us off here? Well, we appreciate you writing in, and we're really grateful for the honest question. Um, This is a question that a lot of people wonder about, and not a lot of people have your level of courage to ask outright. The answer is a little bit complicated, because faith is one of those words that means different things to different people in different contexts. Is it good? Yes, faith is good. I heard a sermon about how it's good. Ah, well, this has been the Say That Podcast. Thanks for (laughs) tuning in. That'll do it for us today. Uh, Let's actually define some terms because uh, this is important. So first of all, faith, roughly speaking, is a supernatural form of trust that allows us to believe the promises that God makes to us. Let me say that again. Roughly speaking, faith is a supernatural form of trust that allows us to believe the promises that God makes to us. All right. Now, the next thing that's important to know is that faith is not something that you generate in yourself. This is really critical. Faith comes from God. You might be saying, so Jed, it sounds like you're saying God gives me the supernatural trust I need in order to believe the promises that he is making to me. Yes. Yes, that is. <laughs> that's it. That's you have it exactly. About. That's that's it. So, but that tells us a few things now. First of all, anybody who tells you, well, you should just have more faith. Uh, we want to ask: Are you implying I should generate more faith in myself? Because that's not how faith works. That's just that's a misuse of the idea of faith. The second thing is, again. It's a supernatural trust that allows us to believe the promises God has made to us. So the question is, what promise are we talking about that we need to have faith about? Faith isn't a thing we just generally have. In other words, it's, it's not, oh, everything will probably work out, have faith. That's not how faith works. God never promised everything will probably work out. Actually, to the contrary, Jesus directly, literally said, in this world, you will have trouble. Right. And it's not faith until everything specifically isn't working out. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's, and that brings us to the next thing, is that faith, almost by its definition, is in direct opposition to what your eyeballs see. Right. Right? You might have heard the phrase, we live by faith and not by sight. We're not really talking about faith until we're talking about believing something that is contradictory to what your eyeballs see around you. That's, that's the moment it becomes faith. But now here's the critical thing that church folk very rarely talk about, but it's really super important. And I think it goes right to the heart of your question. In my experience, faith is about a step God wants me to take. In other words, it's not a generalized emotional state where I just say, I'm just standing on the promises. That's actually not faith. God wants me to do a thing. There's a step he wants me to take. For example, Abraham, leave your country and your father's home and everything familiar and everything you know and go to the land that I will show you. There's a step. There's a thing God wants me to do. Now, my eyeballs in that moment say, oh, Lord, that sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) I would like to spend the next hour listing off for you all the reasons why this can't work, won't work, 
shouldn't work. I'm against it. Mom's against it. Dad's against it. Sis is against it. Cousin's against it. Pastor's against it. We've all gotten together. We have a quorum. We agree. This is a bad idea. Oh, Lord. All right. And then faith begins with the completely insane impulse for us to say, but Lord, do you want me to do this anyway? Now we're starting to get into the realm of faith where God says, I know it looks that way. I want you to take this step. It's not what you think. It, it'll work out. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. There is a land I will show you. Yes, step one is leave everything that's familiar, Abraham. Go out, strike out, but then there will be a land I will show you. This will turn into something else. That's how faith works. So my question for you is, what's the step that's before you? What's the thing that God's asking you to do? What's the move that God's asking you to to make in your life? You might be looking at people say, I need to believe in, you know, virgin birth and the resurrection from the dead and and the life everlasting. And that that takes a lot of faith. Well, it it does. That's true. And and you know, yeah, part of being a Christian is is believing those things, but but so what? What's the so what in your life? If this life isn't the end, and if Jesus is who he said he was, and all stuff is true, what's the thing God's asking you to do in your specific life? That's the thing that we really need to get into. Yeah, it does involve those big picture things, but the living out of that faith is that so what question. The living out of that faith is what is God, on that basis, what is God asking you to do in your specific life? One more thing before I kick it around to these other brothers. Faith begins, in my experience, living out faith begins by acknowledging that you don't have it Mm. and that you don't believe it. That's where it begins. It it begins with saying, I got to be honest, God, this sounds crazy. Uh, this, it sounds like a bad idea. I, I don't think so. I'm not. And, and, and do I really believe all this stuff anyway? I mean, I don't even, I don't even know. That's the, that's where the journey of faith begins. You're actually having a conversation with the almighty at that point. So you, right. you believe it a lot more than, than you think you do, but that's the journey. Faith does not begin with, yes, Lord, that sounds great, and I can't wait to make your name famous among the nations. That's that's not the sound that faith makes. Um, faith begins with saying, I don't think so. That sounds like a terrible idea. That's the way it's worked for me. That's the way it's worked for all of us on the show. But the Lord does have something amazing for you. That's why he wants you to step out in faith, is so he can lead you to that promised land that he's prepared for you. And Abraham said unto the Lord, pass. That's all really, really great stuff. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because there's a, there's a back half of this question, and I think Jed did an amazing job with the faith part there. So let's look at the idea of as you grow, as you do the the Christian thing longer, does it isn't parts of this supposed to get easier? I think that's an important question, and uh, I'm not sure we're going to get the answer we're looking for. Yeah, I, I do want to point out that when when Jed was uh, demonstrating the the response of the hyper faith. That he sounded like one of those uh, like TV and radio advertisements from like the 1940s and 50s. Oh yes, <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I guess for some reason everybody was yelling into the microphone at all times back in those days. Well, but... they only had the one microphone, and it was in New York, so you had to. <laughs> if you were in St. Louis, you had to really project. You had to really go for it. Yeah, I I, I love all of the stuff that Joe was saying there. I, I especially love all the stuff about the honesty and the dependence. Um, 
I think that's fantastic. And I think that when we start there, we're really going to develop something that I think is a key element to what you're talking about, which is we're going to, we're going to develop the relationship. And I think that's one of the things that it's kind of one of the goals of being a person of faith is that I develop a relationship with God over a long period of time. I love the way that Jed defined this as the supernatural ability to, to develop trust, um, to, to have, have trust in the promises that God has made us. And I think that one thing that happens is um, the, the, the process that Jed has described where, you know, the Lord suggests something, you think it's a terrible idea, you tell him so, and then you uh, eventually come around to the place through his help and, and all of that where you realize, I'm going to take the actionable step that he's asking me to because I, because I trust him. One of the things that happens, the longer that you know the Lord and the deeper your relationship grows with him because you've known him for a long time and walked with him a long time is, I do think that process tends to, tends to get a little shorter. Um, within the honesty of, I think this is a terrible idea and I don't want to do it. And I think it's, I think you're crazy for suggesting it, getting around to the place where you say, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway, because you're usually right about that. I do think that process gets shorter with the reps. I don't think that's the same thing as, uh, cause I completely agree with Jed. Faith isn't something that you're mustering up in inside yourself with your own abilities. But I do think as that relationship grows, maybe that process gets shorter. The other thing I think is when, when you ask this piece in your question about does it get easier, one of the things that you need to know from the jump is that the Christian life is not going to get easier. Um, it's going to get tougher. Um, your temptations are going uh, to get harder. Um, another thing that's going to happen the longer you stay in this thing is that the stakes are going to go up. This is something I didn't know when I was young, but the stakes go up with the temptations, with the struggles, with all that stuff. The stakes keep continue to go up. This life and the problems and the, the struggles gets more and more confusing, more and more difficult. But the, the odd thing is, is that because as these guys, as Jed's saying, that faith is a gift that supernaturally that God gives and supplies. Jesus gives you what you need as you grow in him and as you face harder and, and harder things, you actually get better at facing them. So it's like my life and my temptations and struggles and stuff, they get harder. I couldn't face the stuff that I'm facing now at 39 years old if I was the me at 19 years old. There's no way I could handle this stuff. But I've been walking with him for a long time. We've been developing this relationship. He's been helping me along the way in huge ways. And now I can handle it better. Um, I'm getting better at a more difficult life, if that makes any sense. And I think that the, if there's anything that's being developed, it's our relationship. I'm still getting the faith 100% from him, but I'm developing that relationship. And that trust is coming more, it feels like it's coming more naturally as I get into tougher and tougher scrapes and he sees me through them time and time again. That's all really, really fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's the idea of someone who, uh, who started working out and they're a year and say, well, should I be stronger? It's still so hard to lift this weight, which is a considerably higher amount of weight than when I started. Uh, the fact that you're struggling a little bit is not an indication of no progress. It's that there's, there's new challenges. And I'd love to get to pick us up here and maybe develop an idea that uh, Jed starts with, which I think it's really worth looking at here, which is that conception of faith. Because mm -hmm. there's the overall just kind of 
I am a person of faith who lives a life of faith and has feelings of faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give sermons about theoretical things, which you should have theoretical faith about. Yeah. And then there's a thing happens, and I need the faith to get through the thing. Uh-huh. And that may be a lot more of what we're talking about here. And I'm not sure we should be looking for a point where that ever becomes not a struggle. For sure. I think, you know, if you say, I thought I had faith until things went sideways, you didn't need any till it went mm. sideways. And then you find out you didn't have any. You know, the, <laughs> G- Jesus doesn't say uh, to people, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good at following me, uh, and you got a certain amount of faith to be doing that, but, you know, you probably need to kick it up a notch. He's turning to him and saying... Where is your faith at all? Like, where is any of it? Where, where, how can I see faithfulness in what you're doing right now? You know, like if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, yeah, we you wouldn't be having this problem. Yeah, you don't even have that much faith. <laughs> it's a very small seed. You don't have that much. So, you know, it's, these are indications that we think of ourselves as having a certain amount of faith because we think, hey, you know, I'm, I'm participating in this thing. I'm following through. I'm doing my thing. And that's based in the broadest strokes on, I believe in God and his promises and what he says in scripture and so on and so forth. But faith really is something beyond that. It is having uh, that trust and following through with that life when everything is going wrong around us and when when it seems like the way is blocked in front of us and so on and so forth. Uh, and we're doing that as God calls us forward. Well, um, the other thing is this, to, to get to where I am and, and these other fellows are in our respective ministries, we had to exercise a pretty good amount of faith in order to get there. Uh, that was, as exactly as Jed was indicating, a lot of, what? Are you kidding me? Really? Okay, how's that supposed to work? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, you know, let's talk about it tomorrow. You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, so on that basis, you won't ever get me voluntarily preaching on the subject of faith. You won't get me to, in a counseling situation, ever to say, well, you know, what you need to do is just have faith. There's a dark <laughs> moment that comes over our uh, Tuesday lunch topic meeting where we talk about the, the bridge topic, whoever our staff's going to preach, where we realize that the correct answer is faith. Right. And Glenn has occasionally, one of us, me and me, Jed or Pete will say, well, I think it's, it's, it's a faith topic. And Glenn has said it loud, well, that sucks. That's right. I need to figure out a better answer than that. Well, that's exactly right, because I'll explain why as, as we go forward here. But f- preaching and saying, in, or saying to a friend, you need to just have faith, that's when you're out of bullets and you're just throwing the gun. Yeah. You know, this is... Uh, it, but here's why. Let's see, have you tried turning it off and back on? That's right, exactly right. Here's why. The faith part comes at the end mm. of this process. You're, you, there are so many steps that need to be taken before you get to the faith part that if you skip over those steps, you're, you're, A, you're making it much harder on yourself to, to live in, a, in the faith itself, but B, you don't know what to be faithful about. So, for example, if God's calling me out to do a thing, I need the wisdom to know what does he want me to do, where does he want me to do it? If I don't have the wisdom to know what it is, how can I be faithful to do the things he's telling me to do? Mm-hmm. So wisdom comes before the faith. So, you you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, somebody doesn't have a sense of what they need to do. We don't need to be talking about faith at all. 
Um, I think you need a, a, a great deal of courage to do the thing that he's telling you to do, that you know to do, that you can see there are problems with. So courage becomes comes before the faith. Yeah. If, if, I, if I'm a total and complete chicken, how is faith even going to stick to me? I mean, there's no room for it in my, in my mind. Um, here's another thing I need before I can get to, to, to faith. I need patience. This is not going to work out in a hurry, you know. Uh, the, there, there's an old uh, old gospel song, uh, uh, and the the, the the lyrics are of it are he's an on time God, and I think that's hilarious because that's never worked out in my experience. <laughs> Here, here's what it is: it's like okay, we got a deadline. God's got to come through. It's it's getting okay. We're down to the last second. It's gonna. Let's just have faith, y'all. And then the, the deadline expires, and it's all about to collapse, and we're going to die. And then there's <laughs> another week, and then he comes through. And that's close to the point where we're all losing our minds, and nobody has any faith or sanity left in, in that moment. Uh, you, you definitely learn a lesson about trust at the end of that process, no question. But I need patience in order to endure all that. I need a sense of, of peacefulness. I need to have you know, a tran- tranquil mind in the midst of this uh, thing. All of these things I need to be in place for faith to work, for it to stick, for it to have a, a way to function. And Jed is saying we have to go to God to receive faith, and, and that's a virtue. And so we think of virtues as those things that aren't natural to us, but God gives them to us, and we use them, and we, we use them, we use them up, and we exercise them. Well, we need to think of all of these other virtues and making sure those are in place before we try and skip over all of that and say, okay, I need to be a faithful person. I need to just have lots of faith when there just isn't any room for that because of all these other virtues we haven't dealt with. I think it's a really great point, and it goes outside of faith to maybe even a larger conception of the Christian life. You know, Jesus compares... Uh, living a life as to building a house. And there's so much stuff in Christian culture and Christian media. There's the idea of top down, you know, have the big revelation or have the big breakthrough or have the big feeling. And then just everything else kind of sorts itself out to go back to the montage analogy, the music hits, and then it all just kind of flows out of that. As opposed to what these guys are talking about, which is true, which is as opposed to faith being one big thing, it being, be it individual acts or individual uh, virtues, as Glenn was talking about, a collection of little things. That's almost always the way stuff works in my life with the Lord, and a lot of people I see is this is not big breakthroughs and big concepts and big feelings. It's a lot of little things, a lot of putting one foot in front of the other to go back to what we talked about in the question about new things. And that builds into this thing that at some point starts, starts to take shape as an act of faith, but it's not this this big explosion that then rolls downhill. And I think part of what's going maybe going on with some folks here is that idea of, well, shouldn't shouldn't that be enough? If I if I have the faith, shouldn't just this inertia carry it because it's all one thing, but it's really a bunch of things broken down. And that is all fantastic stuff. Once again, I want to thank Chris Ramsey for talking to us. Discovering Jesus in the least is on Amazon. Now, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. I will say our uh, our recording schedule will be a little shifted in the month of October. So uh, we're recording some crunched up. So if you've ever had a burning question and thought, well, maybe I won't be at the top of the pile 
You will if you get it in the next week. So just throwing that out there. Say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Or take out the song this week. This is from Lee. It's called End This Way. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, recapping today's events for those just joining us. Zombies have no gills. Bunker tours now available. Carrots and raisins are better than a severed head.